Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everyone, Dylan here to remind you guys never to feed your mogwais after midnight. Mogwais are adorably short, strangely effeminate little guys if cared for correctly, but feed them after midnight and they transform into short, annoying, strangely effeminate little jerks called gremlins. If you've noticed some odd tracks in your yard in the shape of Crocs, graffiti spelling out of Young Harris, or the nauseating sounds of Florida Georgia Line, you may already be infested. If you fear you may already be infested with these little jerks, call 748-887-5674 for your free gremlin removal consultation. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One fly ball, deep left center. Chris on the run. Yes, 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 yes. Give it up, Brandon. Giving you a championship. A twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. High fly ball. Back to right center. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans and the Grueling Truth Network, brought to you in conjunction with our friends at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the perfect place to go if you're into the gambling side of sports. Just a little quick rundown, you've got John Jones defending his belt against Anthony Smith, who is one of the biggest underdogs in UFC history. So if you want to throw a little bit of money on Anthony Smith to see if he can shock the world and make your wallet just a little bit fatter, mybookie.ag is the perfect place to go. They've got all the best lines. They've got great customer service. If you ever have any questions about a particular line or what a particular number means, their customer service could not be more helpful. It's the site that I use when I want to throw some money down. You should use it too. Use our Use our promo code BRAVES25, and they'll give you a 50% deposit match. So if you throw in $100 to start yourself off, they will give you another $50 for your first sign-in. Just use our promo code BRAVES25, mybookie.ag, play, win, and have a great time. Now, when Doc and I were planning this episode a few days ago, really probably about a week ago, we've got a guest that's kind of perfect for for what we're doing what we're going to talk about today we had no idea that this uh that today thursday would be such a monumental day uh and it's it's you guys can probably guess by now what we're going to end up talking about a fair bit it's going to take over a lot of the podcast uh we're going to wait to get into it with our guest 
But never fear. The Bryce Harper saga is not quite over until you hear it from us. Before we get into any of that, though, my partner put out a great, and I mean a great piece about spring training and about the way that spring training always seems to go. What was it? You said it was the 18 points that always happen every spring training? The 18 easy steps, yeah. It's the uh, the anatomy of the Brave spring training. No matter what, every single Every single year, it seems to be uh, pretty much the same plot, just with uh, with different characters in it. So, um, yeah, that came out today. Unfortunately, it, that uh, was published about four minutes before uh, Mike Fultonavich's elbow uh, became like the the number one story in Braves country. So, um, it is largely unseen. So, uh, if you guys are looking for something slightly entertaining, it is the funniest thing I've ever written, which there's not a lot of precedent for that. So, uh, yeah, if you've got, got a few minutes to kill, you know, give it a, give it a read from knows, the man who brought you it. from the man who brought you heavy metal crayons, uh, bringing you what you do, 15 things, 18 <laughs> things I hate about spring training. I think that that's a, another way we could have gone with that. Um, mm-hmm. but speaking of that today, that it's ties into our first talking point, which was overreacting to spring training. I don't know how many of you guys tuned into the game today, uh, but it was a perfect talking point because Tuki Toussaint got lit up a little bit. Five runs before he got his first out. Um, was just He was not on today, and it kind of it's kind of par for the course when you got to remember and bear this in mind. One, it's his second spring training outing, I believe. Um, second time he's pitched, at least. I don't think he start. I don't think he's started a game yet. But the, the second time he's been in a game, um, and to and everybody's kind of sore. Everybody's just now getting into their groove. It goes to show you though the volatility with some of these young guys. It's nothing to overreact to yet, but when taken in the frame of the arm injuries that the Braves seem to be facing right now with Luis Gohara and um, Kevin Gosman experiencing some shoulder soreness, not pain. I want to stress that shoulder soreness, which is very normal for a guy who's now all of a sudden throwing hard after really just training a little bit in the off season. Uh, we know about Mike Soroka's shoulder. Good news on that front. Apparently his shoulder is a okay now, and he's getting ready to start his throwing regimen. No announcement on when he's going to get his first, uh, get the first ball for, for an actual spring training game, but he will start his throwing regimen again. Uh, faulty with the elbow tightness coming out today. Some other news on that front, it's not really anything to worry about, according to Fulte. Apparently, he pitched through this exact same thing for a fair portion of last season. Uh, he said if it was a regular season game, he would not have missed a start. Just one of those things that uh, you, you look at and like, oh, cool, we got five pitchers who you can list on an injury report right now. Uh, it opens the door a little bit with Soroka being out. It opens the door for uh, Tuki, Toussaint, and Max Freed to be to really get a leg up in that fifth starter position. And uh, while you don't want to overreact to a spring training game, this was probably about as bad a start to his fifth rotation battle as Tuki Toussaint could have wished for. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, spring training, this this stuff is going to happen. You're going to have guys that are that are coming out with guns blazing. And, I mean, Pedro Florimone has like a 1750 OPS It's right like now. 500. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like if if it tells you that that should tell you everything you need to know. But you you see it on the, on the other side of that too. Uh, Tuki coming out and getting completely lit up. Uh, you had mentioned that there was zero fastball command, and he had to rely yeah. completely on off speed. Yeah, and um, like I'm not I'm not lying when I say this. For his first out of the first inning, after he'd given up five runs, uh, and it went, I believe it went uh, 
double hit batter, single, single, three-run homer by former Brave Dustin Peterson, uh, mm-hmm. and then another single. When he got his first out, he legitimately did not throw a single fastball in the at-bat. It was curveballs and his rarely used changeup, and that was legitimately the only pitches he threw. And you're going to have stuff like that. And it's Tukey is really interesting, too, because the, the thing ever since the day that the Braves got him um, – it was his rawness, you know, and even for, for as good as, as he was last year, it takes him a while to get going. You've talked about Julio Tehran and Max Fried both being game feel guys. Tukey's like a season feel guy to where when he gets rolling, you know, you look at him in, in May, June, you, you look at his stats all through Mississippi last year and, and the previous year when, when he was in Florida. I mean, it takes him a while to, to get going. And for somebody that didn't start pitching until he was a teenager, then you are naturally going to have that. Uh, I think that Max Freed now th- today this afternoon was bad for the Braves, but it might have been great for Max Freed because the Fulty Fulty's elbow, Gossman's shoulder, and Gahara's shoulder—all of that news broke within about 15 minutes. It was similar to the Donaldson and and McCann signing. So Freed is over here thinking, well, if I'm lucky, I'll get that that fifth spot. And now he's like, well, gee whiz, all I got to do is wait for somebody else to get hurt. And who knows, Freed, at this rate, Freed's going to be the opening day starter. <laughs> I, I do want to touch on that because Max Freed, he had his first start on when yesterday, actually. Uh, and his was very, very good start. You guys know I'm a big Max Freed fan. I think that uh, I think he's been kind of. I don't want to say this badly, but I think that he's been given like a short end. He's been given a short straw, a short shrift, I should say. Uh, I feel he already should have been a starter. Uh, so I'm a big fan of what Max Freed could do in a rotation. I think if he has an opportunity to get into that rotation, he will not pitch himself out. So good news for Max. Uh, as far as Tukey, what you brought up with Tukey is a fair point, but it also brings back to uh, what you're always going to have with Tukey is there's going to be – starts where he just does not have it because his fastball command you can kind of help it a little bit as he gets better but pitchers that struggle with fastball command typically always will struggle with fastball command it's not exactly something that you just all of a sudden the light turns on and oh now i can place it everywhere i want and you can tell that it's a problem with tukey because if you actually watch him when he misses with his fastball it is nearly always arm side and it has to do with his arm slot it has to do with his release point it has to do with his mechanics but he's already refined those as a, a, a lot I, I almost uh, said, said a no-no word there uh, but if you take a look at Tukey when the Braves first got him and the way that he threw the ball and where he is now he's so much more refined I just happen to think that that fastball is always going to present a little bit of an x-factor for him it's a good high-powered fastball with some good tail on it and some good run it's just is he going to have command of it that day is the issue. It's almost like Sean Newcomb and his curveball. If if Newcomb has a feel for it, then it's a great pitch. If he doesn't, then it's a launch job. Tukey's in that same vein. It's why national evaluators and, and big-time kind of prospect scouts don't have him as high as, say, Mike Sirocco or Ian Anderson, and, and it's all based on his command. Not to say that he's not going to be an outstanding pitcher because I, I do think that he's got amazing electric stuff. And the fact that he could ditch a fastball – and still settle down and pitch very well, that's a good part to him. He's just got to get that command under control. That's that's true. And and he is occasionally erratic. Now let, let me let me ask you this. And and I'm not familiar with exactly where he's standing on the rubber. Uh, do you think this is something that could be 
solved by him moving all the way over to the first base side. So instead of missing completely arm, you know, if he's if he's on third base side and he's missing arm side, he's he's pitching inside to righties the whole time or outside the lefties by moving himself over a little bit. I think that a couple of years ago this worked for Julio and he saw a big uptick in his production. I what, don't like it with Tukey because Tukey's best pitch is his curveball. And if you move him on the rubber, if you move him over towards first base, it takes it's going to take away a lot of his front door ability. And his curveball, he front doors a curve extremely well. If you want proof of that, just go look at what he did to Marcelo Zuna last year. I think that mm-hmm. it's just got to be something where I don't know exactly the, the full thing you can do other than just drill, 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 release point. I just think sometimes you're just going to have to take that bad with the good with Tukey. If it were me, and and maybe Rick Kranitz has a different idea than I do. Rick Kranitz is an esteemed pitching coach, so obviously whatever he goes with is much smarter than what I'm going to say. But personally, I I don't think I would move Tukey on the rubber because he doesn't struggle with his curveball command. He doesn't really struggle with his changeup command as just as much as he just doesn't throw it very often. Um, it just seems to be the fastball. And if you move him over on over to the first base side of the rubber. My only issue there will be if he is missing arm side because of the run on that fastball, is it going to take it into the heart of the plate when he's trying to hit the outside corner? Fair enough. That is absolutely fair. So, And I wonder, too, if, if he's kind of in his own head about this because he gave an interview. Uh, this is before all of the position players had reported. Somebody asked, what do you work on this offseason? He said, fastball command, fastball command. He, he knows it's a thing. He knows that, that that's his biggest deal. He, he knows he's got an 80 curveball. You know, he knows that, that when his changeup is on, then, then that's a weapon, too. So uh, maybe this is just one of these things that he's struggling to overcome. And and hopefully hopefully he gets there. You make a, you make a really good point about Rick Kranitz. And um, he's probably been working with the guy for two weeks if, if he didn't uh, if he didn't get a chance to work with him in the offseason. So he's an unfinished product, you know. And we had talked about whether or not he's going to start at Gwinnett and, and kind of be the first man up or if he's like a bullpen guy. That's what, that I'm put, being, that's what I'm putting my money on. I don't think he's st- – I think he's on the big league ball club regardless because he's just too electric. His ability to miss bats is, is just too much to put in Gwinnett, especially if you look at the right-handed relievers that we've got, who among them is, is overpowering? Well, it ain't Luke Jackson. None that I can think of. You look at the righties, and you're talking about Arotis, who if Arotis is on, he's he's locked in and you're not you're not touching the ball. The question is whether he's going to walk the bases loaded before he gets that. Uh, right. Darren O'Day, I've told you guys before, uh, relievers that throw submarine and throw like 83 miles an hour are not my favorites. So I know O'Day is, is a good reliever, and he's been very good for a while, but uh, I would rather trust a guy who throws 96 and has that hammer of a curve. Um Really, as far as right, he's Dan Winkler, maybe, but there's not a whole lot that you really want to trust about that. Chad Sabotka, who we've talked about a number of times, who I still think is maybe my favorite bullpen piece of them all, uh, who also, by the way, has looked absolutely outstanding in this spring training. No walks from him yet, so good on Chad Sabotka. That's really his only question. Um, I think Tukey would slot in as, as... I think Tukey has one of the best ceilings because even if he doesn't work out as a starter, he is an elite back end of the bullpen potential. I think that he's always got a spot on a major league ball club. I don't think Atlanta could send him down to Gwinnett and put a lesser pitcher in their bullpen. Agreed. If if the long term plan is to keep him as a starter, I, I will I will agree with you there. But as far as 
uh, strictly moving him to the bullpen, if he's struggling with that fastball command, I mean, it will become very apparent very early. And But if they're if it's the first inning, you have time to come back from from a five zero deficit or two zero if things don't get completely ridiculous. But if he's a bullpen guy and you're up five three and you go to him and then he blows the lead, then then there shrinks the window, and uh, it's a, it's kind of volatile. It's for the similar reason why you wouldn't necessarily want to put Newcomb in the bullpen. It doesn't. It's not necessarily going to play up. If you, if you put him out there, see, I'm going to go the other route on that because it's not like it's he struggles every start with it. It's a start to start thing. Some starts he's locked in and his fastball goes exactly where he wants it. Other starts he can't locate to save his life. So when you have him in the bullpen, you'd know very quickly if he's got it that day or if he doesn't. That would be my only. That would be my rebuttal to that. Uh, I don't want to get locked down to only talking about Tukey because we've got about about four or five minutes before we take our break and get ready for this interview. Uh, the other thing I want to touch on real quick, it's not all negative. The young guys have shown up and shown up pretty quick in spring training. It's been great to see Alex Jackson with two mammoth home runs. William Contreras went oppo taco on Wednesday, which or on Tuesday, which was so fun. I got to talk about that Wednesday morning on the front row. Uh, Austin Riley, been a lot of, he's been pretty much exactly what Doc and I thought. Uh, when he connects with the ball, he hits it hard. And then he also swings and misses a lot. My bigger thing, Christian Pache has shown some doubles. Um, you know, he, he still looks a little bit overmatched, so you, we all know he's going to start. I would imagine he starts in double-A. Um, Drew Waters has held himself pretty well. He, he looks like uh, he's not completely overmatched when he's facing the the weaker competition. Um, I, I like what I see from out of him. Andres Blanco has been surprisingly good, I'll say. Um he he's working himself into maybe being a a potential call up to be a bench bat type of guy. What we were hoping Ray Patrick Ditter might be. Um, we talked about Pedro Florimon. I would heavily caution before buying into that. Don't forget that Emilio Bonifacio had an incredible spring uh, and then put up one of the worst major league seasons in Braves history. Um, but I did want to ask you: We've written off Alex Jackson like five hundred times on this show. What he's done in the spring, are you starting to reevaluate him a little bit? You look at Tyler Flowers, you look at Brian McCann, and beyond that, you don't really have a ton of depth. You have Racky Lopez, who's going to be at AAA, but if you but he's not exactly the future, right? So if the strides Alex Jackson has made are real, and he's he's somebody that could be relied on beyond this year, I think that's a that's a huge development, and I, I would love that because he he can tattoo a ball. I mean, he's he's twenty twenty five home run power easy. I would agree. It's just, I, I don't know. It's spring training. I don't want to overreact one way or the other. It would be fantastic for the Braves if he were to able to to reclaim some of that luster to where you didn't feel like you had to absolutely rush William Contreras. That would be a phenomenal, phenomenal thing for the Braves and for Alex Jackson to uh, to go from being one of the best considered prep hitters in high school to be way down and then to make his way back up. That would be a great story. Uh, but as it is, we're going to take a quick break. When we come right back, it'll be John Stolnes joining us on the show. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Edgar Allan Potpourri. Want to freshen up your bleak existence? Try new Edgar Allan Potpourri, the avant-garde line of room-freshening essence. With new scents like Annabelle Lemon, Rose Gold Bug, and Cherry Pit in the Pendulum, you'll be able to fend off that gothic sense of impending death, and you'll smell great doing it. Quoth the Raven, this room smells fantastic. Edgar Allan Potpourri, patent pending.
Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by TixBlitz, the number one new company for all of your ticket needs, whether it be a sporting event or a concert. TixBlitz is the perfect place to go. They have the best setup of any of these online ticket vendors, Ticketmaster, SeatGeek, uh, StubHub, wherever you go. There's always that extra charge, what they call a seat fee. TixBlitz does not have that. So you save yourself a ton of money right there just not having to pay for – basically, you don't, you don't have to pay for the – how do I want to put this? For the privilege of buying an online ticket. TixBlitz knows that's a dumb idea. They did away with it. And not only that, if you use our, our promo code armchair, they're going to give you 5% off your ticket price. It's really easy to get to. Go to TixBlitz.com. Join the newest revolution. Get these guys out there. You will love it. You will not regret it. You will use them for all of your ticket needs, just like I do, just like Doc does, just like we here at TPS. Fully endorse TixBlitz.com, the future of online ticket buying. We teased before the break that we are bringing on maybe the perfect guest for tonight's show with everything that just went down about an hour ago. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of hate him right now. I don't really want to. This is going to be, no lie, probably the most positive he's been in, in, since Gabe Kapler took over, I'll say. Uh, but it is John Stolness from The Good Fight and Hitting Season, the number one coverage for Phillies baseball. John, I'd say thank you so much for coming on, but I, I'm, I, I would maybe be lying a little bit. No, I understand that, man. If the, if the roles were reversed, I, I wouldn't exactly be welcoming you guys onto my podcast with open arms. But I will, I will try to resist the urge to dance on anybody's grave tonight because uh, <laughs> while I'm feeling good, you know, getting Bryce Harper doesn't guarantee anything in life. So, uh, but we're definitely feeling good here. Thirteen years, three hundred and thirty million dollars, man. I mean, that's like uh, we all thought that the Giancarlo contract was kind of preposterous when it happened. Uh, for any number of reasons, but now, I mean, he he tied the tied the length and he he broke the record for the for the for the value. So, how do you feel? Not so much about the fact that the Phillies added him, but about the actual contract itself. I mean, that's that's a huge deal. No opt outs, by the it's way. A hu- yeah, no opt outs. There's a full no trade clause, and it's kind of surprising with all of the all of the rumors we had been hearing, all the different quote unquote reports over these uh, last few weeks about him. Uh, really preferring to play on the West Coast. What it came down to, it seems as though he was just going to go to the team that had a good chance of winning the World Series of being World Series contenders and the team that was willing to commit the most years and money to him. And at the end of the day, that was Philadelphia. And uh, I know Andy Martino, who works for one of the New York websites or whatever, was uh, reporting that as of earlier this morning, the Phillies hadn't even gone over $300 million with their offer. But they finally realized with the Giants back in the mix that they – you know, they had to, they weren't bidding against themselves, and so they got serious. And for me, I like the fact that it's 13 years instead of 10 years because it stretches that AAV out. It allows the Phillies a little bit more flexibility year to year so that they could continue to add pieces at the trade deadline or even this offseason or in a couple of years when another free agent might come available. I don't know who this might be thinking don't about. Don't even but, say it. Don't um, even say it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, I think, you know, with the DH coming to the National League at some point in the next few years, probably after the new CBA is agreed to, having Harper on your team in his late 30s may not be as onerous as it would be if there wasn't a designated hitter. I think the Phillies made that calculation, too. So I'm I'm all for it. I prefer I prefer the 13 years over the 10 years. 
me and Doc were, of course, talking about this before the show started. As soon as as soon as it went down, you've had people on both ends of that spectrum. The 13 years, that's a lot to put on a guy who's had some injury history. You realize that he's 26 years old. 13 years is literally half of his life, and he's just signed that in one contract. Um, but I will say getting him at $25 million a year, that has a chance through – and I, I'm going to be – I'm going to shade this. I'm going to say that the first first nine or ten years can be outstanding, and it can be absolute steal of a value for at least the first six years. You talk about he's he's just now about to enter his athletic prime. So as long as he stays healthy, that's no he yeah no. Uh, I mean he's just entering his prime right now, and you know if you get him at twenty five million, Jake Arrieta is making twenty five million dollars this year. I mean that's. That, that's the kind of money we're talking about. I think it's the 14th largest AAV in baseball yes. this year. So uh, he's not he's not hamstringing the Phillies from doing anything. Uh, based on the last numbers I looked at, the Phillies are still, I believe, $50 million under the luxury tax number. Or I think it's oh like 45 or $50 million. So, I mean, there's still room for them to do stuff, and, and that's why this that's why the, the, the length of the deal really works for them. And... You know, it worked for if it worked for Bryce Harper, then you know, great. I, again, you're right. I think it's it's staggering when you put it that way that it's literally spanning like half of what his life is so far. Like he's 26 and 13 years. That's crazy to think about. Um, but uh, yeah, the first hope you, you hope the first eight to seven to eight years, you're going to get all of that value, and really, you're going to get basically a guy who's playing under market value for all that time. I think the main thing that I really want to talk about. Sorry, Doc, but. Uh, We've heard ad nauseum for like the last three weeks that it's, oh, he hates Philadelphia. He doesn't want to play there. He's just using them as a jump off. I don't know where that rumor got started because they're, like, he's been pretty open that he actually loves the city and he loves the fan base. And his wife likes it too. Like That was actually like full-on reported. I don't know where this idea that he didn't like the city came from. I don't know if it was uh, if it was somebody trying to play it for leverage or if it was you know a dumb John Heyman, Scott Boris-led tweet or something. But I... What was it like for you guys, for you Phillies guys who covered the Philadelphia, who covered the Philadelphia, to to hear this random reporting that he just hates the city? Yeah, I mean Jim Salisbury, who's probably the best Phillies beat beat reporter for, and he works for NBC Sports Philadelphia. He went out of his way to say, "I talk to people close to Harper, and they say he has absolutely no hard feelings about Philadelphia." And you're right. And in previous trips to Citizens Bank Park, he's talked about how much he likes Philadelphia. I mean, Harper at one point said that he gets food more in Atlanta than he does in Philadelphia, which kind of is kind of surprising. So, you know, I, I think um, it came from Scott Boris. I think it came from him using his, his mouthpieces in the media to try and encourage other teams to get in the mix. I think that's where all the West Coast stuff came from, because obviously the West Coast was not as big a lure as we thought, and, and that was my argument all along, is that if you hire Scott Boris to be your agent, you're not hiring him to get you to a specific location that you want for 50 to $100 million under market value. You hire Scott Boris to get you the biggest contract you, he can get you, no matter where it is. And I, I think that's, at the end of the day, what Boris did for him. And I, I think he was using Philadelphia, using that information to try and leverage other teams to bring the Phillies price up because I don't think the Phillies were offering anything close to what they offered as the final deal until today. And we all kind of knew that this was going to wind up happening. You know what I mean? With between Bryce being, it's like the perfect storm for Philly. You know what I mean? And and all the comments about stupid money and all that. But I'm curious as 
was Bryce your guy all along? Because the connections to Manny Machado were really strong as well. So if you had a choice going into the offseason, was Bryce the guy or did you want Manny? Uh, you know, for me, I was pretty much literally split down the middle. I just wanted one of them. I didn't really care. I think initially I, I was more Machado than Harper because I preferred um, the defensive third base that he provided, and I thought that that would be a better fit for what the Phillies need. Uh, but after the Phillies got J.T. Romuto, the, the lineup got really right-handed heavy. And at that point, uh, thinking about Harper and what he would do for ex- the excitement level of the city, bringing in the crowds, you know, just what it would mean to have the face of baseball wearing a Phillies uniform, all that coupled in with the fact the Phillies desperately needed a left-handed power bat in the outfield. Harper started to make more sense, I think, once Real Muto came on board. But um, initially, I pro Machado, but it was like 55-45. I, I just, I desperately, and most Phillies fans desperately just wanted one of these two guys to sign. And we're sitting over here in Braves country, and Doc and I have talked about this, and this has been the biggest firestorm of uh, of, of the Braves' Twitter this entire offseason. Both both front offices came out and, and made bones about, we've got plenty of money to spend. Uh, your owner said the term stupid money, uh, which Matt Clintac fervently tried to to douse the fire. Yeah. Like, no, 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 it doesn't mean we're going to spend that. Um, despite yeah. the owner saying, no, 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 we're going to spend that. Uh, the Braves kind of went tongue in cheek. Well, we can shop any aisle. Uh, we've got all this money. We've got no payroll. And then, you know, it, it, it I don't want to say this, but it just looks like the Phillies front office delivered more than the Atlanta Braves front office. And I'm probably going to get hammered for saying that, but whatever. Um, we didn't get to talk to you right after the JT real Muto thing. So, you guys are riding on such an insane high. I'm very jealous. I'll flat out say that I'm very jealous that you have two super studs now in JT Romito and Bryce Harper who make your lineup infinitely better. Um, but I don't think either one of those are the biggest value that you guys got. I keep going back. That Gene Segura contract to me is the X factor yeah. because your yeah. defense last year was absolutely pathetic. Uh, but you had three players playing in so. spots they had no business playing. Now you get an actual shortstop. He's not a great defensive shortstop, but the fact that he's an actual shortstop is light years beyond having Scott Kingery try to play short or or having the the ghost of us Drupal Cabrera trying to play short. I mean, it is <laughs> it is a bona fide infield, and I think you guys actually added by subtracting Carlos Santana. So now Hoskins gets to go actually play first, and even before Harper, your outfield was set up to be better just by getting Reese out of there. So just by kind of uncluttering and kind of going back to a little bit more of traditional alignments, you guys were already set up well. Regarding the the other contracts added, not Harper, not Real Muto, we know you love those. Who was your favorite out of the other ones? Well, I mean, I think that uh, we saw in the bullpen last year that the Phillies really were hurting late in the in it, late late in ball games. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez came up and, and was really good at the start, but he he fatigued at the end of the year. And so I think getting a guy like David Robertson, who has been so consistent year in and year out for the last eight years, it is really rare to find a relief pitcher that is as consistent as Robertson has been for as long a stretch as he has been. And I think he's going to make a world difference in the back of the bullpen. I mean, the Phillies could still go out and perhaps get Craig Kimbrell, but I don't think they need him because Robertson really gives so much stability to the back of that bullpen. He hasn't been a big save guy in recent seasons, but he has a number of 30 save seasons under his belt. So we know 
He can do the job. He's good against left-handed hitters. The bullpen really struggled against good left-handed hitters last year, and now they have a guy, even though Robertson's right-handed, his splits against lefties are really good. I think that's a signing that's really going to pay dividends as the season goes along because we saw the Phillies lose a lot of ball games late due to blown leads by the back end of that bullpen last year. You mentioned you mentioned Kimbrel, and I think that um, you know we had also kind of talked about the fact that we the Braves said they were going to spend money, and they, they really haven't spent a ton. You know, uh, Kimbrel would be one of those kind of like last saving grace uh, for for this team. But uh, when you yeah. look at adding other free agents, somebody, I mean, Dallas Keuchel is and, and Kimbrel are, are the two biggest ones left, and Boris is Keuchel's agent. So so I do have to wonder if that's going to be the next target because having a front three of Nola, Arietta, and Dallas Keuchel, um, that's that's pretty solid. Do you do you think something like that is going to wind up happening, or do you think that uh, that the bonanza is done? Because you guys' off season, it can't be understated. Your off season has been amazing. Yeah, it's been an A plus off season, and I, I think that with Keuchel, I think that the Phillies would do it if Keuchel lowered his demands. I think he still wants a five year deal, and I don't think really any team should give him a five year deal. I would consider giving Keuchel four, but I think the Phillies are thinking three years or less. I think they're thinking the same thing with uh, Craig Kimbrell as well. And, and frankly, if I, were the, if I were Atlanta, I would be calling Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell. I think Keuchel would help out the Braves maybe more than they would help out the Phillies just because Atlanta's ballpark is a little friendlier to pitchers. I think Atlanta, I think you guys have better defense uh, than the Phillies do, so I think he's a guy that generates a lot of contact. He doesn't, he doesn't get a lot of swing and miss, and I think that could be dangerous in a place like Citizens Bank Park, not quite as much because he is a ground ball guy. But even with Gene Segura at shortstop, Michael Franco is not a great third baseman. Cesar Hernandez is pretty good at second base, but not elite defensively. Reese Hoskins at first base is kind of average. You know, I, I think in Atlanta, Keuchel would perhaps go a little bit further. It would be a better signing for the Braves, and it would help the Braves kind of keep keep pace with what has been going on in the rest of the National League. Same with Kimbrell. I think I think Atlanta could really use a guy in the back of the bullpen. If the Phillies got both of those guys, I'm a big Nick Pavetta breakout guy this year. I think Pavetta is going to, you know, you look at his strikeout and walk numbers, you look at his um, soft and hard hit contact rate for last year, his ERA really belies a lot of his peripherals, and I think he's due for a jump up. I don't know that he's going to have like an Aranola type season or a, you know, top 10 Cy Young caliber type season, but I think he could be a potential all-star this year if things kind of go a little bit more lucky, if he gets a little bit more luck this, this season. So, you know, I, I think Keiko Kimbrell could be possibilities for Philadelphia if they're willing to go down to three years. But, I, frankly, if I'm a Braves fan, I'm, I'm really pushing Atlanta to sign one or both of those guys. You would not be alone in thinking that. Uh, that seems to be <laughs> that seems to be the mood on Twitter. I'm not as big on Keuchel. Uh, Doc knows this. I'm not real big on pitchers that pitch to contact. Period. Uh, you have to be so precise when you pitch to contact, whether you're a ground ball pitcher or not. You're still inherently throwing the ball with the expectation of the batter hitting it. To me, that, that's a slippery slope in today's game that you really don't want to go down on. Uh, Adam Adovino talked with with friend of the program, Mike Petriello, about that, and it was a very good look mm-hmm. at why pitchers are really going into this all-or-nothing type of high strikeout, high walk type of look. Um, I do yeah. want to bring it back. for like the, This has been an insane month for you guys. First off, you get JT Real Muto, and I do want to get your thoughts on that in a second. Uh, so we'll go back to that. But first off, 
I don't know what in the world happened, what possessed Aaron Nola to do that extension. I, how over the moon are you guys that you just got Aaron Nola for $10 million a year? Yeah, well, I mean, Luis Severino did the same thing, and I think it's because of the free agent landscape. Players just don't want to go through free agency right now. That's why I think Rendon will sign an extension. That's why I think Mookie Betts will sign an extension. I don't know if Trout will sign an extension because, you know, I think there is a possibility he does want to play in Philadelphia a couple don't years say from that. now. But I think a lot of don't you know, that. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, it's out there. But you know, I, again, I'm glad the Phillies didn't wait around for that possibility. But as far as Nola is concerned, I think he took the money because he's kind of a simple guy. He he doesn't he's not one of those guys that wants to be the richest player in the world. He, I think he's a guy who's very satisfied with you know being set for life. I mean he he's never gonna he comes from a, a place in in you know Louisiana where not a lot of people have that kind of money, and so that's going to go a long way for him. Um, he's he's not a flashy guy. He just wants to go out and pitch and work and. No matter what happens now, remember, he's a guy who a couple of years ago, we weren't sure heading into the 2017 season whether or not he could make it through the season healthy. He's not that far removed from some elbow worries. And so this solves any concern that he ever has about missing out on a big money deal. Uh, He's going to be set for life, and I think all of that factors in. When you're dealing with young pitchers, I think it means a lot more to get that security than necessarily it would be for a young position player. Because with a young pitcher, you never know when your shoulder is going to bark at you or an elbow is going to get you. There's no doubt it's a team-friendly deal. No doubt about it. I mean, the Phillies have locked up Aaron Nola through his prime. But with Nola, I think the personality and where he comes from and the fact that he's a young pitcher, I can see why he decided to, to take the guaranteed cash. We're quickly running out of time, so we got two more things we're going to run down here. Uh, first off, I did mention this right before we talked about Nola. The JT Real Muto package. You had to give up Jorge Alfaro, who's who's just removed from being a very, very high prospect. Had to give up Sixto Sanchez, a guy who admittedly very low as far as his, his actual status where he's pitching at. But he's pe- catching Pedro Martinez comps. Um, what did you feel about that deal right off the bat? Any reservations? How do you feel about giving up Sixto? Well, I would have been much more critical of the deal if the Phillies hadn't gotten Bryce Harper because when you trade a young, potential stud, Pedro-like pitcher in Sixto Sanchez for Real Muto, and Real Muto, you only have him for two years unless the Phillies work out some kind of an extension, then the Real Muto trade makes a little bit less sense because that's kind of a win-now move. I like Sixto Sanchez a lot, although I don't know that I like him as much as some. His injury history worries me, and I think that was the concern with the Phillies, is that he only pitched 60 innings last year, and he's, he's never, never broke 100. 100 innings in any season. So, you know, he's kind of a guy who you're not exactly sure whether or not he's going to actually make it to the majors, whether or not he's going to be able to physically hold up. I do think he's going to be a stud pitcher. I think the Marlins got, I think the Marlins got a lot in that deal. I, I would not have put six to deal for JT Real Muto, but getting getting Bryce Harper makes the deal more palatable. And I think Corey Alfaro has a chance to be a really good catcher. I think he has a chance to be a top ten catcher in baseball if if he can make just a little bit more improvement with making contact. So at the end of the day, I think the Phillies gave up a lot. That being said, JT Real Muto I think is just as much of an MVP candidate as Bryce Harper is. When you look at Real Muto's home road splits and how much playing in Miami hurt him last year, 
he would have had an additional, I think the number was 12 home runs if you overlaid his fly balls in Miami to Philadelphia. So you're looking at a guy who could be a potential 30 home run catcher who plays elite level defense, has above average base running skills. He could be a five or a six win player for the Phillies and be a potential MVP candidate. He might be a better MVP candidate than Bryce Harper if you think about it. Wow. Well, I know that uh, time is uh, is getting very short here. Thank you so much for everything you've given us. But before we let you get out of here, handicap the division for us. Like, with uh, if the season started today, uh, who's your one through four? Unless, unless you, of course, you think the Marlins are going to wind up jumping into third place or something. Yeah, no, I love the Marlins. I think they got all – no, it's just um, – <laughs> what is going on with that franchise? I mean, okay, anyway. Um, I think before the Harper deal, the, the Nationals were the clear number one. I think they had a few games on everybody. I think right now I would probably give the slight edge to the Phillies atop the National League East. I still think the Nationals are right there. I think Victor Robles is a really good young outfielder. He's going to provide a lot to them. Trey Turner's great. Anthony Rendon's great. Juan Soto is great. Adam Eaton is a really good player that not a lot of people talk about. And that rotation is unbelievable. I mean, you have Scherzer, Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin as your top three guys. Man. I mean, that's, that's scary. So I think the Nationals are right there with the Phillies. I think the Braves, I, I, I know a couple of people in the Philadelphia area see the Braves taking a little bit of a step back. I do think Sean Newcomb is a little bit of a question mark, but I like Mike bolton season last year. I think he can sustain that. What are you going to get out of Julio Tehran? I mean, I think with Tehran and Newcomb's kind of up-in-the-air situation, and you know, I don't know what you're going to get out of Gaussman this year. That's why I would go after Keuchel to really shore up that rotation. I would bump up the Braves a couple of wins if they did that, but I think the Braves are probably a couple of few games behind the Braves and the Nationals right now. And I think the Mets are a little bit behind the Braves, but I think all four of those teams are within seven or eight games of each other, maybe seven, eight, nine games of each other. It really an injury here, uh, a bad managerial move there. Um, some midseason trade could, could just radically change the whole thing. I think the NL East, you know, pick a name out of a hat right now, and you, you, I wouldn't be surprised if one through four, any of those teams win the division. But it's probably Phillies, Nats, Braves, Mets for me right now. Seems to be the consensus report for the most part. Uh, talking about bad managerial moves. Luckily, uh, we y'all still have Gabe Kapler, so we still have that going for us here in Braves country. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I had to. I had to take I, a shot before know, we leave it off. Heaven forbid this team gets off to a slow start. Uh, Kapler might not be long for that managerial chair. You almost should hope for it because then as soon as he's not there, the team will take off after that. But uh, we are I mean, I- <laughs> we're out of time with John. Uh, we will definitely look back on this after the season gets started. We'll have to uh, have our friendly rivalry going once we get some Braves-Phillies matchups. John, thanks for joining us. We know you're riding so high right now on the Bryce Harper thing. I wouldn't be shocked if you've got four or five other shows that you're going to go talk on. Well, thanks a lot for having me, guys. We're happy to come back anytime. Enjoy your new signings, you lucky. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, fellas. I appreciate it, man. All right, we'll talk soon, John. Thanks a bunch. Have a good night, guys. Bye-bye. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Heavy Metal Crayons. 
from the same heathens that brought you jazzy gel pens and mariachi markers, try brand new heavy metal crayons. Why color with boring old red when you can use lamb's blood or demon horn? Chant your vengeful mantras and pine for terminal desolation while using the all-new fire and flame shade of orange. We've even managed to identify the colors of anarchy and torture. Also, be sure to try the new Prince of Darkness edition, which is just 666 shades of black, including abyss, witch hunt, sin, and eternal damnation. Heavy metal crayons. Patent pending. I'm a whisper lost upon wind I'm the ember that'll burn you down I'm the water that'll drown you I'm a star that's just a black hole now I'm a terrifying danger Welcome back. Big thanks to John Stolness, that lucky little jerk who gets everything for him in this offseason. Uh, fantastic guest, though. We really do enjoy having John on. Uh, very very unbiased type of guy. He gets very excited when the Phillies do well, but you can tell he maintains his his journalistic integrity, I will say. Um, but before we get into our next segment, we've almost forgot to mention it. I don't know if any of you guys have realized, but this is episode number 52. Do you know what that means, Doc? Tell me all about it, Dylan. What does that mean? It's our birthday. It's the TPS birthday. We've been at this for officially one year. We could not have had a better time. We love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, we're glad that all, all of you guys enjoy it so much. You know, keep growing. Keep getting out there. You guys are the best. We really enjoy our interactions with you guys. Uh, that being said, I'm going to go off script a little bit. We do have our, our contest we are going to announce the winners at the end of the show. For those of you who, who put in video submissions, to all of you guys who put in video submissions, they were all fantastic. Thank you guys so much for interacting. Uh, those of you who are affiliated with other podcasts, you guys do not get to join in. We will discuss that a little bit later. Uh, but before we get into any of that, we do have to get into some more baseball talk. Uh, and it has been, was about the past three weeks or so, have been very odd. Right before the, the Harper signing, kind of right after the Machado signing, We've got these extensions that are coming through, and they've Doc and I have been keeping an eye on these, and they've all been such insanely cheap extensions. We thought off the bat it had to be because of the strike that, that we think is going to happen, or the new CBA if you don't think there's going to be a strike. But just looking at these lists of extensions, I mean, you got Aaron Nola, was it 4 and 40 for Aaron Nola, which is insane, um, or 445, something like that. Uh, Aaron Hicks. One of you may not know it to just know the name, but if you take a look at what Aaron Hicks has done over the past two seasons, he's been one of the absolute most valuable players in all of baseball. And the Met and the Yankees got him on a seven year, $70 million contract. That is an insane bargain for Aaron Hicks is bringing that team is the only person in that outfield who can actually field and he can mash from both sides of the plate. Weird deal there. Miles Miklas, um, guy of the fierce mustache or, formerly of the Fierce Mustache, for the Cardinals. Fantastic story. This is the one that I think Doc and I were the most perplexed by. He got four years and $68 million. Miles Miklas is making more than Aaron Nola. How do you countenance that? Well, the, the Nola thing, they were buying out the last the, the back end of his arbitration years. So so it does make sense that, that he would wind up getting a little bit more. Miklas came over uh, from Japan. He was a free agent, so... But and and even even for the year that he had last year, because I mean he, I remember seeing that he signed last year and think I don't think I've ever even heard of this guy. And then he he shows up, he goes eighteen and four with a sub three ERA and the and the fit to match. 
um, that's Corey Kluber money. And so the thing about Nicholas is he's not like one of these super overpowering guys. I mean, he's striking out six and a half for nine, but he's also walking less than one and a half for nine. So St. Louis front office has got to be really, really banking on the fact that that last year is who he is. Otherwise, that contract has a chance to get real ugly real quick. $17 million a year for somebody who's not overpowering. It I mean, just if, seems if he so loses weird. His control, if he loses his control, that, that, that's bad news for I mean, them. And but they also just extended Jose Martinez, too, so uh, they're they're being generous with the extension. Well, you know why they extended Jose Martinez, because now they know that there's going to be a DH in the National League in two years, and Jose Martinez mm-hmm. sucks in the field. He's the only person besides David Ortiz who, for some reason, cannot handle catching a ball at first base. But you put him in a DH slot, he might. He has like the best hard hit rate of anybody in the entire major leagues. It's insane. Just go look at his numbers. He's got like a fifty percent hard hit rate. It's just, it's just stupid. But talking about Miklas, I mean, do you know how that dude was was bad enough at one point to where he did not get a major league deal and had to go to Japan? It smacks to yeah. me. Do you remember when Colby Lewis came back over? And the Rangers gave him kind of a big extension for what he was, and then he flamed out. That's my worry with the Cardinals here. Now, granted, it's the Cardinals, so yeah, screw them. I don't really care what happens to them. But, man, it just seems like an odd move from an organization that is usually on the ball when it comes to this stuff. Well, and for all of these extensions that came out, like Sonny Gray getting 3-30, and 30, Whit Merrifield getting 4-16, 17, you know? <laughs> Insane. Even, even the Hicks deal, seven years at $70 million for a guy who's like a really good intersection of of power and speed and defense and you know he's like ten million dollars a year for I mean Nick Markakis was was had a higher AAV over his four year deal than Aaron Hicks is getting for you know until what year is it till twenty twenty six through his age thirty five season yeah I mean that's a that's a steal and so now this is one that just kind of flies in the face of all that so. I don't. I don't know. It's uh, that's that's one I didn't get. All of these different ones, whether it whether it's the market or other extenuating circumstances, you know, you can make a case for all of those different deals. The Merrifield deal was was pretty pretty. Extreme. Four million dollars for one of the best second basemen in all of baseball. That was just insane. Yeah, and and this is on the opposite side of that, where it's like he's walking the tightrope. If so, I don't know. St. Louis front office, as was pointed out to me by a by a very disgruntled individual on Twitter this week, uh, perhaps the St. Louis front office knows more about player evaluation than I do. Yeah, well, no shit, buddy. <laughs> I, um, I hate that view so much because you just want to say, well, duh, that's why he has that job. But you know what they'll never say that to? Somebody like the <laughs> Orioles or the Royals. Like, huh. Like whenever somebody brings that up to me, if I make you, you might as well just send in a resume. You'd probably you think you could do a better job. You know what? I do think I could do a better job than the former Orioles GM. I do think I'd do better than that. That guy got fired for a reason. Well, and the only thing I had said to this was I don't think Miles Nicholas is worth Corey Kluber money. Exactly, which, which I, is not I crazy. Yeah, I I still don't think I still don't think he is. But but you never know. I mean, deal, deals like this, it's it varies from different things. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm stat line scouting. I did not watch a ton of Cardinals games last year uh, that were not played against the Braves. Right. So I'm the same way. I, I could, watched a little bit of him, but like you're talking, yeah. like it just it, he doesn't seem to do anything besides not walk people. Now that's an incredible skill. Not walking people, you'll go far doing that. 
But if you're to look at his profile, he doesn't really profile as a number one. I mean, it, he, he's this weird case where his underlying numbers matched his season. So it was not a fluke last year. But like I pointed out, man, Colby Lewis did the same thing when he came back over from Japan, and that extension bit the Rangers hard. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of similar. The thing that comes to mind with Nicholas is somebody like Jamie Moyer almost, because Jamie Moyer used to throw really hard, but the, the way that he lasted till he was like Julio Franco age <laughs> throwing was 82. Because, well, he learned how to be crafty, you know, and – Nicholas, he doesn't have the advantage of, of being like a 12.5K per nine guy, and then his stuff backs up, and suddenly, oh, well, now he can rely on his control. Like, that he's our, that was not part of his arsenal. So, like I said, he's walking the tightrope, and this could, could go this could go sideways for them quickly. But that even, that kind of blew my head off, but also, like, there's this other giant extension, like, yeah, Maybe somebody else. His big deal. Somebody Life did not. Somebody didn't get affected by the market at all. Yeah, and I, this brilliant move for Nolan Arenado to take eight and two sixty from Colorado, thirty two I mean, and a half million dollars per season. It's the most for a position player ever. Which honestly, I, I kept. I kept forgetting. I didn't realize. You realize Zach Greinke makes thirty four point four million dollars a year. How many people have you seen this offseason trying trying to float these scenarios where the Braves would wind up taking on that contract? I mean, you know, if, if Arizona in order to took get Peralta, you if, have to take on Drinky, right? If Arizona ate twenty million of that contract, sure. Yeah, and and so Arenado is probably more valuable to Colorado than he might be to anywhere else. The home road splits are. I don't want to say they're extreme, but I mean, he, he does have some some cores effect in him, and, and the cores effect Ooh, does get overplayed well, a little bit. By the way. Uh, I think I can explain that a little bit. Mike Petriella, friend of the program, if you haven't read, he also has a story out about this. The Coors Effect thing is as far as it goes on Nolan Arenado, it's a lot deeper than just home runs and OBP in OPS, home and away. you got to dig in a little bit deeper and look at the amount of off-speed pitches that Rockies players receive home versus away. Pitchers don't throw their off speed nearly as much in Coors Field because if they leave it up, it's going, you know, it's going to the moon and maybe not ever coming back. When they get away from Coors Field, they're seeing a lot more breaking pitches. And when you're a lineup that's used to seeing, you know, eighty percent fastballs or you know whatever it is, sixty seventy percent fastballs, you move out of there to to a more normal field. And all of a sudden, you're seeing 50% fastballs, and you're seeing you're seeing more change-ups, you're seeing more curveballs, stuff that you aren't used to seeing, and it messes with your timing a little bit. The other factor on that is when you just look at his home and road splits, the other thing that people don't take into account is just how cavernous Coors Field is. So if you move him to another stadium that's just not 430 feet to dead center, his his numbers will, will regress towards the mean. Now, I, I think he's kind of in the middle of where he is right now in his home and road splits. But if you're asking me if there's one third baseman that I would give that giant contract to, Manny or Nolan, I'd give it to Nolan a hundred times out of a hundred. Absolutely, and I do find it really interesting that Nolan wound up getting the highest AAV out of all the the, the huge contracts that got signed this offseason. Because Manny Manny's getting thirty, Bryce is getting twenty five point four, and uh, so Nolan's getting his thirty two point five breaks uh, making Cabrera's record. And more important than that, I mean, he's going to be a Rocky for life. Yeah, and did you Colorado. see his press conference? Uh, I only saw bits of it, but it was fantastic. 
Oh, I mean, you couldn't. It couldn't happen to a better guy. He just, just. I mean, I liked him already, but seeing that, I mean, he was getting like his teammates showed up, and it, that made him get emotional. I'm just watching, going, man, this is like, this is something you put in a movie, and you have to like fast forward through. It's gonna make you cry. It's like watching the end of Rudy. Like as a Braves um, fan, you know, you're a little disappointed because Braves fans have long dreamed of Nolan Arenado. Uh, now we have to pin every hope on Anthony Rendon not getting extended, uh, but but it is good for Nolan and it's good for the Rockies. It's something that they really needed to do. They have come a long way from where they used to be in that division after they lost Larry Walker and Todd Helton. They went through some years where they were just pathetic, and now you know now they're on this bit of an upswing. They still don't have any pitching to speak of, but they've got a nucleus now between Arenado and Trevor Story uh, and. You can still say Charlie Blackman, I guess, but they still they've got these two incredible players right there to build around. They've got a really good farm system that's kind of overlooked in the frame of things right now. And if they're going to keep pace in that West that has the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks and all of a sudden the Padres who all of a sudden are are, are out for blood. This was absolutely essential for Colorado and I I think it's a perfect marriage, honestly. No, I, I agree. And I think that it's also going to be really interesting to see for all of these extensions uh, where the ripple lies for the Braves. And as far as uh, how many of those guys, because like I said, Arenado is going to be a career Rocky. How many career Braves are currently on the team right now? I mean, somebody like somebody like Acuna, who by the time he becomes a free agent, I mean, he could get be ready for thirty five billion dollar payday. Yeah. Get ready for thirty five plus a year. Yeah, I mean, and because because that we're talking six years from now. Like, look at look at how things were six years ago, and look at and look at where they'll be um, six years from now. So, guys like Acuna and Albies could be a bit of a stretch. But when you're looking at looking at some of these guys that are on the team right now, it could be um, it could be a perfect storm for for something like that to happen. And it does have to make it. It makes me nervous anyway. I don't know if it makes you nervous, but when you get into this, and I, I don't want to make, I don't want to turn this into a Liberty Media's cheap thing. But when you do look at the payroll crunch and how they don't ever feel willing to like pay people, it does make me supremely nervous. Now it is a long time down the line. Nobody knows if Liberty Media is even going to own the Braves by then. But me being this weird, like, I don't. What's the right word? This weird neurotic type of fan that I am. I, I still worry like six years down the line. Oh man, we got everybody coming up on extensions that have to get extended all at once. It makes me wonder with these rash of extensions, do the Braves need to go ahead and look at locking down some of these complimentary pieces? Because Acuna and Albies are two that I could pretty much assure you are not going to extend early. If they do, it might be like one year before their free agency. They're not going to be an Evan Longoria and have the Braves buy out all of their arbitration plus an extra four years. In fact, the Braves already offered Acuna something like that, and he laughed in their face, as he should have. Um, but when you're looking at the rest of the Braves, Mike fulton comes to mind. He's got to get a contract offer. He's got to be extremely pissed off about the Aaron Nola extension because Nola is a better pitcher than Fulte. Nola gets $10 million. Luckily, Miles Mikolas comes in and gets Corey Kluber money, so Fulte's probably feeling a little bit better there. What are you thinking as far as a Fulte extension? Do you think the Braves actually do extend Fulte, or is, is he going to be a casualty of we have to save money for other positions? Yeah, you know, a lot gets made about the, the arbitration hearing. Oh, they, they went to an arb hearing over $100,000. Well, I mean, those numbers were not reported um, beforehand, so they, they weren't just – they didn't have nearly as contentious of a stalemate as I, as I think a lot of people uh, would like to assume that they did. I think that um, – this next year will be really interesting to, to see what happens with Fulte. Um, 
if if there's anything about about the elbow soreness, if, you know that that could be a huge factor, obviously. But let's say he comes out and he has a year like he had last year. Um, you could make the case that he could probably get a similar deal to Nola because you heard what John was saying. I mean, Nola's not the type where he's he's really just trying to be that guy where where he's he's pushing. Uh, nine figures or anything like that. So if Fulty came up and then said four and forty-five, you know, maybe something like four and forty, um, possibly. But but I don't I don't think that uh, that he's going to wind up being a twenty million dollar a year guy. If he is, then he's going to take up. That means that he has taken a massive step forward, and it's going to take pretty huge stones for him to go out there and test the market the way that it is. You know, you hear guys like Zach Wheeler talking about. I think I could do good in the open market. Like, are you paying attention? <laughs> I think on? Zach Wheeler just doesn't want to be part of that Mets team that they they are for real cursed. Like they have to be buried on some Indian burial grounds. Uh, probably hit a leprechaun and, and didn't get his gold. They they are some sort of evil curse has been placed upon them. When you've got Brandon Nemo getting food, getting salmonella from, from raw chicken, I mean it, it's the the jokes write themselves. But the faulty thing is so interesting because. Is he what he was last year? I don't. Uh, I have a hard time with that. He may very well be. He looked like a totally different pitcher last year, and I hope that that is the real Fulty now. If that is Fulty, then he's worth more than ten million. In in a vacuum, he is, but is, he's not worth more than than Aaron Nola, and he's worth about what I thought Miles Miklas would be worth. It's going to be a hard thing to do there when you consider the Braves have some other players that you've got to start thinking about. We've talked about this going through the past couple days, and it just kind of hit me because I'm weird and neurotic like that. But Freddie Freeman's contract runs out after 2021. I don't think either you nor I believe that the Braves will let Freddie Freeman go to another team. No, I, I think that – I mean, Freddie has made very clear that he wants to be here for his entire career. The impact of Chipper Jones on Freddie Freeman, it's like it huge. shows itself a little more every day. Yeah. The question then becomes, like, what do you give Freeman? How many years? How much money? Like, you've got to start thinking about that. And Doc and I were exchanging some numbers somewhere around, I thought, 25 a year would be ideally in that Freddie range. You know, maybe he takes a hometown discount, but you can't count on that. Like it, it's hard to get a player to take ten million dollars less to play somewhere. Um, now I don't think Freddie's a thirty million dollar player, but I certainly think he's an upper echelon guy. Twenty five. Some people throw out twenty eight. That seems a little rich, but you have to be careful when you throw that extension in there because that will directly affect the guys like your Ronald Acuna's and your Ozzy Albies who come up in six years. Your Mike Sorokas, your Tuki Toussaints as well. I have this question though: Should the Braves, in your mind? With, with all of this money that they did not spend this offseason, should they do some things and approach some of these guys about extending some of these years? If they're not going to spend it on any of these players, would it serve you at all? Would it help save face to you if, say, they went and bought out some of Camargo's years to, to lock him down as a and keep him happy? If they went out and they extended Fulty, uh, if they bought out some of Sean Newcomb's Arbiers, or if they extended Freddie, would that help? You? Would, would you feel better about this offseason if that were the case? You know, I I don't know if it would or not. I I almost feel like that they shouldn't. Like for some of the young guys, like when granted this is a completely different front office regime than when Frank Wren was handing out extensions to Freddie and uh, Julio and Simmons and Kimbrell, right? But even at and that Chris point, Johnson. They, 
Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that was that was brilliant. <laughs> uh, but but even with the exception of Johnson, you they were still really young guys, but they had um, they had a couple years of service time. So Camargo's got a year and a half. Um, guy like yeah, Freddie. Freddie's a different case. Freddie Freddie's a, a very different case there. Uh, but but for some of the younger guys, I think that maybe you give them another year or two to make sure that. You know, I would feel much more comfortable locking down Johan Camargo long term after he shows two and a half years that this is who he is, as opposed to one and a half. If they lock him up tomorrow, I'd be like, hell yeah, sign me up for it or whatever. But if it was my money, then um, then it would be different because I'm a cheapskate. So, but as it pertains to a guy like Freddie, he's making twenty one million dollars a year now. He's got three years left, and he he doesn't want to leave. And I don't think that you're really going to be comfortable coming to him and saying, we'll give you five years and a hundred million dollars. Cause then, you know, it sends him through his age 37 season, but then that's a lower AAV. But that's also right as the CBA runs out. And this, this whole deal about financial flexibility, like, yes, we've, we've all seen the, don't, the don't say that. Joke. Don't say that again. I don't want to hear that again for like the rest of this season. Right. Like I've, I have grown quite sick of the term. But, I almost threw up. I, I, I think that, you have to extend him, but not at the cost of crippling the rest of the franchise. Like I agree. Lock, it's such a fine you, line to walk, though. If you can't lock up Acuna because you locked up Freddie when, through his 37 season, I mean, which is going to be the bigger riot? Do you let Freddie walk or when he's kind of hitting his decline or Acuna when he's hitting his prime? Because to me, if you let Acuna walk when he's hitting his prime, then we're, you're going to catch these hands. More right? than that, I'm legit going to burn your offices down. I will fly to Denver, and I will burn your offices down. It's a, it's a, it's a weird thing to walk. Hopefully by that time, because this whole deal has been about we have to pay off some debt. Well, look, you've got half a decade to figure that shit out. Excuse me. but You but mean as they you, get ready you, to go even deeper into debt? It's if it's to save face with the franchise because this is a bad look. Letting Freddie walk in a couple of years, and, and who knows? Who knows what's going to happen in the next three years? But uh, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that they're they're going to wind up letting him walk. And and if if he's willing to take not even a hometown discount, or if he's willing to just kind of keep a similar contract to what he's got now, because people because Bryce if Harper, I don't think Harper really did Freddie any favors. No, you know what I mean because Harper got twenty five a year. Machado got thirty. Freddie's making now. Freddie's making twenty one. Now, over the last three seasons, you could say that Freddie's been the better player. But you get yeah. into this weird area here of if if you don't like if you there is a line that you do have to walk away from. But you do you remember do you remember the fallout when the Braves didn't extend Brian McCann and he went to the Yankees. Yeah, that was ugly. Do you remember how depressing that was? Now, now imagine that. And that was buoyed by the fact that we had Jason Hayward, Uber All-Star, who was going to reinvent the game of baseball that to take some of that away. You wouldn't have that. You'd still have Acuna that you could look at. I I think you do have to extend Freddie. I think if you can get him in that 25 million range, I would I'd like to get him through his 37 year. I think would be the ultimate year. I don't want to do this one where you push him into 39. I don't. I, I don't. Uh, I don't agree with that. I think that's a little too long. I think that you'd want to leave yourself some room for his eventual decline. But if I were to tell you that, say, you could lock up Johan Camargo tomorrow at a six and sixty million dollar deal, 
essentially what Marwin Gonzalez is making. How would you feel? I would think that's too much because Camargo's still got RBRs, and you don't necessarily okay. have to buy him out yet. But but I think that the closer you get to it, if you if what about to do, hang on, what about six and thirty six? Yes, right now I, w- I would probably give him more than that actually. So um, in between yeah, six like, and ten, so somewhere around seven to eight per. Sure. Yeah, uh, I would. I would like six and forty-five for me. That buys out the arb that, or that gives him, um, it gives him the cushion. He doesn't have to worry about. That's what I was going to say. Not only that, it would give him some faith that you, even though you keep replacing him in the starting lineup, that you do still value him as a member of the team. Yeah, absolutely, and. And who knows? There, there could be, there could be something. But you know, maybe, maybe somebody like Ozzy winds up kind of starting to panic if if he doesn't come out. If he plays more like second half twenty eighteen Ozzy as opposed to first half twenty eighteen Ozzy, then yeah, start, then he's not a twenty. Thinking about it, then he's not a twenty five to thirty million dollar player. Um, it, it's a hard line to walk. I, I really get weird about this. Just looking down a list of guys that I would look at extending soon. And it does come from the fact that I do believe that a lot of these guys are going to work out, whether they work out of what we believe their ceiling is, is different. But as you go down the list, there's really only one or two that you look at and say for sure that the Braves are probably not extending. Uh, it doesn't look to be any of like hardly any of the starters right now. All the guys that have come up the last couple of years with the exception of one who I'm not going to name, uh, maybe two, you look at that like you're locking down. Would you like Jesse Biddle? Let's say Jesse Biddle. He's he's a guy that I would like to see stay in the bullpen. He's a guy that I would rather approach now and pay him a little bit more than people might be comfortable with with the injury history now, banking that he could stay a little bit healthier and be worth way more down the line. I think a guy like Biddle, if you could get him at, at $4 million a year, or f- I would be completely happy with that. Locking down Minter would be another one that I would look at. I'm not the biggest AJ Minter fan, but I think if you could lock him down fairly cheaply right now, that would be a huge plus. There, there are some definite guys that Liberty Media has to take a hard look because if you let all of these guys get to their extension times at once, you better, brother, you better be willing to throw a $200 million payroll. Yeah, and that that's kind of the the weird thing about all these guys hitting at once. And so I, I that's why I was kind of saying I think that for the twenty nineteen is a, is a crucial year for for any number of reasons, but but more importantly, it helps kind of identify which ones are are really worth uh, extending for that because it's still a really small sample size for these guys. You know, a guy like Biddle, he he had half of a really good season when he was on that he was fantastic, but can he keep it up? Same same thing with Mincer and uh, in there's any number of guys that are, but who knows? You saw what Ender got a couple of years ago, and and he, that was very well below market value. He got like five and thirty or something. So there's a lot of value in in his skill set, and so that could be applicable to any any number of players. Once again, though, completely different front office regime. I mean, it's one of those interesting things. You can't keep kicking the can down the road. At some point, you have to make a move for something. Whatever that move is, I do think that it would help the look of the offseason if you were to extend. Say you gave Freddie an extension. I think that that would help the offseason look. Or if you extended uh, Fulte, I think that that would change the look of the offseason. But we are we are drastically running out of time. We've already gone about five minutes over what we said we were. So before we do, Doc has an announcement for our contest that we mentioned Um Little heads up for for everybody else listening. Uh, if you guys would like to impress me, there is a secret message in our in the ad in the beginning of the show within the first forty seconds. There is a little secret message that uh, I worked very hard on. 
if you really want to impress me with your knowledge and how super smart you are and how well you listen to the show, then decode that and I will give you a special shout out. Here's a here's a uh, a quick uh, little aside here. I was unable to get it, so you got to be paying attention. I've I've fancy myself to be pretty astute, and I did not get it. But you need to be an escape room aficionado if you want to get this one. You are loyal listeners. I know that you are smarter than me, so we have all the faith in the world for for all of you to do this. Um, So Dylan kind of alluded to this earlier about the contest. Um, All of the videos we got. Loved every single one of them. I went back and rewatched all of them after the deadline. I mean, I I can't even like the <laughs> the response was so much better than I thought it was going to be. You know, I thought we were going to get like three different videos, but we get we got a ton. We we really did, and uh, I just love them all. And I I wish that we could we could pick everybody, but we at a certain point we have to start narrowing it down. So congratulations to the following three individuals who have been chosen to move on to round two of the contest. Uh, the talent show, swimsuit competition, and written portion of the exam. Uh, congratulations to Sam Dawkins, uh, Chris McLemore, and I hope I pronounced this right, Jordy Donchick. Um, Donchick, re- like Luca. Donchick. Come on, man. We we will be uh, we will be reaching out to each of you individually to um, to talk about uh, the next round. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to to see uh, what happens next. If anybody chooses to bow out. Um, we don't really have a contingency plan, so um, <laughs> just know so that if anybody away. bows out, that we're going to have like a first, second, and third alternate. Because if if everybody bows out, I'm going to be doing an episode on my own. Either that, or I'm going to wind up having a call from Italy, and, and I really <laughs> don't think anybody wants that. I think that time zone would be a little bit different. Yeah, how do you feel about recording at like seven or eight in the morning? That would that would not be happy go lucky, Dylan. That would be very grumpy, Dylan. Uh, but. <laughs> Just to just to piggyback on what Doc said again, thank you guys so much for the submissions. Really, really enjoyed all of the videos immensely. Uh, picking a winner was a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. We yeah. really enjoyed all of them. I think we're going to do this a lot more often as we get rolling in this next year. But we do have to get going here. We are out of time on this week's episode. Thank you guys for sticking with us for the first year. Can't wait to bring you many, many more years here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.